the days of your servant Moses, righteousness being restored. And though these are days of great trials, of famine and darkness and sword, still we are the voice in the desert crying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Behold, he comes riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet call. So lift your voice. It's a year of jubilee. And out of Zion's hill, salvation come. Okay, wave, no hugging. And these are the days of Ezekiel, the dry bones becoming as flesh. And these are the days of your servant David rebuilding a temple of praise. And these are the days of the harvest, the fields are as white in the world. And we are the laborers in your vineyard, declaring the word of the Lord. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun at the trumpet call. So lift your voice, it's a year of jubilee, and out of Zion's hill salvation comes. There's no God like Jehovah, 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 there's no God like Jehovah. Behold, He comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun, at the trumpet call, so lift your voice. It's a year of jubilee, out of Zion's hill salvation comes. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds, shining like the sun. At the trumpet call, so lift your voice. It's a year of jubilee, out of Zion's hill salvation comes. All right, y'all may be seated. We'll do one more song. All of creation, all of the earth, make straight a highway, a path for the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Call back the sinner and wake up the saint. Let every nation shout of your fame. Jesus is coming soon. Like a bride waiting for her groom, we'll be the church ready for you. Every heart longing for our King, we sing. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. 
be justice and all will be new. Your name forever, faithful and true. Jesus is coming soon. Like a bride waiting for her groom, we'll be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for our King, we sing, even so come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, come. So we wait, we wait for you. God, we wait, you're coming soon. So we wait. We wait for you. God, we wait. You're coming soon. Like a bride waiting for her groom, we'll be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for our King. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Even so come, Lord Jesus, come. God, we wait, we wait for you. God, we wait. You're coming soon. God, we wait. We wait for you. Yes, we wait. You're coming soon. God, we wait. You're coming soon. Amen. Well, brother, come on up. I, I don't know about you, but I couldn't help but think all this time the critical importance of God's people getting together. Isn't it, isn't it something you just miss? 
you know, when God's people don't get together, um, whether it be online or wherever it might be, there's just something missing in our lives. And God purposed it that way. And that's why we just enjoy being back together. And so we are greatly blessed. Well, let me just go through a couple announcements here for you just so you're aware of some things happening. You already got the email that we sent out about we want to make sure we keep distance from each other. Be careful. Be loving. Except for families. You're certainly welcome to do that. Uh, Also, we've also put a tithing box in the back. Now, that doesn't mean the box tithes, okay? But that means you put your offering, let's call it that, in the box. If you go right through the door here, not outside, but right through the, in the little vestibule there on the left, you'll see a little wooden box and you can place your offering in that box, okay? So no, not going to be any collections. Uh, we're not going to do communion yet. We're still working through the process of that. We'll make that happen here soon. And um, just uh, we're going to be careful and do everything we know to make sure we're taking care of everybody, okay? I do want to emphasize the positives that have been going on. It seems like we talk so much about the negatives of what's been happening with all of uh, this virus. And you know all about that. But let's just talk about some of the positives. Some of the positives that we're hearing are God's people have been so faithful to giving. And we've been thanking you for that over the last several weeks to your financial giving. Bless your hearts for that. I pray that God will abundantly bless you even more for your faithfulness in that way. Uh, But we're also noticing that there's more people watching online, and most churches are saying the same thing, that they're having greater numbers of people joining in, and we think that the world is just saying, hey, we want to know from God. We want to hear from God. And so praise the Lord for that, which also means that prayer is increasing. We're finding out that more and more people are wanting to be a part of prayer. Uh, Those of you that came to our prayer seminar a few months ago, I know Bob Allums, and uh, Brother Bob was telling me that online they're having to do their prayer seminars that way. In fact, he just did one Friday and Saturday, yesterday, finished it all online, nothing in person. But they're having more and more requests for prayer partners and prayer cohorts for uh, men to get together. And now they're working together to get uh, working on getting a ladies cohort together all online. But they're just seeing an, an amazing growth in prayer. And so praise the Lord for these things, right? There's much to be excited about because God is doing much in these days, okay? All right, so just keep those things in mind. Let's go to the Lord in prayer now. We'll just thank him for who he is and what he's done and all the goodness of God. Father, what a joy it is to gather in your house together, together with your people today. Thank you, Father, for what you've given to us. Lord, we do pray for those that are struggling and suffering from this terrible sickness and pray that you would bring healing to them all across our world and across our land. Uh, Those couple people that we hear about that we know, uh, we just pray that your grace and your power of healing would be upon them. Lord, in these days, we pray that you'd magnify your name even greater, that the world through all of this would take notice of you and, and desire to know you and call upon you. And Father, may we be a church that's ready to give an answer for the hope that lies in us. So as we focus on the days ahead, celebrating today, looking back and looking forward and just rejoicing in all that you've done, may we be a people that are faithful to you. And so we ask that you touch our hearts now as we look into your word in just a moment and teach us to be the people that you want us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Speaking of looking back. Just this last weekend, and some of you have been asking, you've been very faithful with that, just asking about my dad and how he's been doing. And 
Just want to give you an update. We were there yesterday for just a little bit, and uh, Dad's pretty much uh, resigned himself to the bed, not really getting out, not able to walk much these days, and so dementia kind of has its way of doing that. But overall, still has his uh, same sense of humor, and that's a real blessing. And so uh, we had a chance to just chat for a little bit, sleeping mostly. He didn't really want to wake up. In fact, we have a little joke in our family that when we tell a story with one, to one another, the other one will pretend like they're falling asleep, okay? kind of like nodding off that that was a boring story. Well, that's a joke within our immediate family. Well, the funny thing was I was telling my dad a story yesterday, and while I was telling the story, he literally did fall asleep. <laughs> and so, so we were having a hard time not laughing about that. But uh, he's doing well, and he sends his blessings to you, and he always tells me, to make sure that you tell the church that I'm praying for you as much as you're praying for him. And so his heart is here as much as it is with his own church and wanted to send you that message. So just looking back, though, as I was sitting in Dad's bedroom there, in which was Mom's bedroom as well, uh, I was sitting in a chair while Dad was sleeping and looking around the room, and much of the room is the same as it was when Mom was there. They really haven't changed anything. My mom's night table is there where she had a kind of an old antique piece of furniture where she had a big mirror on it. And, and I remember many times watching her fix her hair and put her makeup on. And that was a very familiar sight to see her doing that. And so as I was sitting there yesterday, all of that came to my mind as I'm just a few feet away. And I could hear her. I could see her walking around the room. She always had a cup of coffee in her hand, big coffee drinker and uh, would, would go from this table around the house, and her dresser, other dresser was over here. And, and uh, just a precious time as I thought through all of this in my mind's eye. And then my, my, mind, my eye caught picture of my sister of a portrait that hangs in mom's bed, mom and dad's bedroom. And, and I took a photo on my phone real quickly and sent it to my sister and said, I can see my mom's face in you. And uh, I've never noticed that before to that level. My sister was pretty young when the picture was taken, and uh, she just responded back with something comical like, I'm sorry, or something like that. But uh, as I thought, there is a point to all what I'm telling you. As I thought through all of those memories, I remembered things that were very good, but I also remembered some troublesome times. You know, I wasn't always the model kid. In fact, even now, I'm not the model son. Uh, but all of those feelings and emotions were coming about, as you all are well aware in your own lives, as you think back on things. It forced me to start thinking more about the text that I had. And I already had these in my, this thought in my mind as I prepared this message this week from 1 Kings chapter 8. So I want you to go to 1 Kings chapter 8. I wanted to do something special for us today since this is our first physical time to be back together mostly. And we're longing for everybody to be back together. 1 Kings chapter 8, I'm not going to read the text yet because I want to set the stage because I think it, it will reflect for us what I was feeling yesterday and what no doubt you feel about the passage of time and what we want to see God do in our days. So I want to kind of preempt you a little bit to think about the days coming. As we look backward as to where we've been but also looking forward, it's going to sound a little bit like a New Year's message but it kind of is a new year because we're together after being gone for so long. I wanted to refocus our thoughts about some things that we need to think about. So let's think about the context here as you probably haven't read First Kings for a while. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Solomon is king. 
It's been about 480 years now since the Exodus has happened. It's a long time. A lot has transpired. And you remember the story of the Hebrews wandering in the wilderness. Solomon has begun to build the temple. In fact, this passage in the text that we're going to look at is the celebration of the completion of the temple. It took seven and a half years to build this edifice to the Lord. And so this is a special day in the mind of Solomon that was promised to him by God. And you can see all this in the text of Scripture. We won't go back to that, but you can review the prophet's message and you'll see all this. It was such a monumentous occasion, a monumental occasion, that Solomon wanted to celebrate. He wanted to start out the dedication of this place where the people would come and offer their sacrifices and their hearts to the Lord as a day of celebration. That's really what was on his mind. Now, interestingly, I found that this was also done on the celebration of the Feast of Booths. Now, the Feast of Booths was the time of celebration that ended the wilderness wanderings, the 40 years that the Hebrews were in the wilderness. And so God said, set up this celebration as a time to remember all that you've done and all that I've done. And so that's the setting of all of this, symbolizing that finally now Solomon is rejoicing that the day of rest for God's people has come. No longer is God bound to a portable tabernacle, but he has a physical permanent dwelling place to dwell in. And you'll get all of that from reading in 1 Kings. Okay, So that's a little bit of the background here. But I think Solomon had a lot more on his mind than just what's written in the text. And so I want to do, as we often do, kind of read between the lines a little bit and pull out some things that hopefully will be beneficial to us. I think Solomon must have been thinking of, similarly what I was talking about, the good days but also the bad days. And the things that he was going to ask God for will be a correction, if you are a course correction, so that the, the days coming up will be days of blessing and days of fruitfulness. And it's a beautiful time to think about that. And so, again, you're seeing why, in my mind, I'm thinking this is the day where we want to say, Lord, as you've brought us back together as a church family physically, and we know many of you can't be with us yet, but we're longing for that. We know you're here with us. Praise the Lord for technology. Amen. Uh, that we're saying to the Lord, we want to rededicate our hearts to you as our God and remember some very foundational things as we look to the future. And so Solomon, thinking about all that, calls on God. And through his prayer, we learn some very valuable things. So let's pick up our reading in 1 Kings chapter 8. Uh, I'm going to have you, if you're with us, to stand and honor the reading of God's Word. I haven't had you do that for a lot of weeks. Um, but uh, even if you're in your kitchen or your bedroom or wherever you are in your living room, basement, doesn't matter. If you want to stand with us, we'd love to have you do that in honor of God's Word. First Kings chapter 8. Then Solomon, now understanding the context here, stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven. Can't you just see that sign, that symbol there? And he said, O Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing loving kindness to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant, my father David, that which you have promised him. Indeed, you have spoken with your mouth and have fulfilled it with your hand as it is this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, the God of Israel, keep with your servant David, my father, 
that which you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel, if only your son take heed to their way, to walk before me as you have walked. Now therefore, O God of Israel, in your word, let your word, I pray, be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant, my father. Now, I'm going to talk about the verses just after this, but skip down with me, if you will, to verse 65. This is Solomon's conclusion, or what we're what, written for us as the conclusion to this moment. So Solomon observed the feast at that time and all Israel with him and a great assembly from the entrance of Hamath to the brook of Egypt before the Lord our God for seven days and seven more days, even 14 days. On the eighth day, he sent the people away and they blessed the king. Then they went to their tents joyfully and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had shown to David, his servant, and to Israel, his people. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. So this is basically the introduction to Solomon's prayer and the exit from Solomon's prayer as we understand the historical context. The people are excited. The people feel rejuvenated. Solomon is excited. Solomon is rejuvenated, which is what we should be feeling on a day like today, right? We should be excited about what God is doing in our midst and and how he's making himself known. So if you understand those two things, let's look now specifically at the prayer. And I'm going to skip through a lot of verses. I'm not going to read a lot of verses. I'm going to ask you to go back later this week and read through chapter 8 for yourself so you see these things more fully. What I am going to do is read between the lines and pull out some things that I believe Solomon's asking of God so that we will also ask of the Lord ourselves. And the first thing, if you notice in verse 23, though, is he asks the Lord, to make sure he's, he's really putting a petition out there that it is important to remember God first. Now, this may sound very elementary to us, but it certainly wasn't elementary to Solomon on that day. And if it wasn't elementary to Solomon and it wasn't elementary to God and his word, it's not elementary to us. At least we need to remember it. So number one, as we're looking to the future, we need to remember that God must be first. Look at verse 23. He said, Lord, there is no God like you. There is no God like you. In heaven above, on earth beneath. Now, there were other people in the scripture that remembered this same thing that we have example from. You remember Hannah? She was the woman who had no child, and she went before the Lord in the temple before all of this, and she desperately wanted one. She was married. Actually, there was another wife of Elkanah. Elkanah was the husband. Hannah was the, son, the one of the wives. But God had closed up her womb. She had no children, but she desperately wanted children. The other wife had many children, uh, and she would often uh, bring some form of chastisement or rebuke against Hannah, often making her feel badly. And so Hannah prays in 1 Samuel 2, 2. And here's what she said, There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. And in her prayer, God heard and God responded and provided for her a son. King David also was humbled when he learned that God would bless him with the lineage of his bloodline to serve over the leadership of Israel. And this is what he said in 2 Samuel 7, For this reason you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you. And there is none beside you according to all that we have heard with our ears. You know, as we think about our day to day, 
what God has brought us through? Think about it. As a church, as a church family, we've been relatively healthy for all that we know. We haven't heard of any record where we know of specifically people from our congregation getting sick. And that's a praise to the Lord. It is our God who is bringing us through this. It is God who has touched your hearts to be faithful to giving, to your financial giving. I mean, I have to admit in my sinfulness, in my fleshliness, when all this started, I thought God's people are going to be afraid and they're going to not give to the work of the Lord. But you responded just the opposite to that. And you gave anyway in the midst of your own uncertainties. God has done all of that. God has worked in your hearts and you have shown that you have followed him. In many ways, the Lord has made himself known in these days. So today is a day to acknowledge God. I wanted us to deviate from Matthew's gospel just one more time so that we would acknowledge the truth of who God is. You know, the world runs to so many gods, doesn't it? I mean, you think about how we even get trapped in these gods. And I'm talking about little g that really are no gods. But the God of time, think about that God, how it just captivates our lives. The God of possessions, the God of worry, the God of irritation when things don't go our way. I mean, that becomes a God in in itself, doesn't it? The God of my way or no way, this way it's going to be. Or the God of you can't tell me what to do. Because I'm in charge of my life or the God of power, the God of control and, and many, many other gods. It's just, just, a, just a small list of the things that distract us from the real God. But today, beloved, we want to acknowledge God as the true God, the God of who he is. He is the one who sustains us. He is the only one who sustains us. And I understand that he works through us. He works in us physically, mentally, to do the things that we do and praise his name for that. But again, the point is God is doing it, right? He's the one who gives us life. He gives us the desire to keep going. When the world says, let's quit, let's hide, let's run, let's do everything else, God gives us the hearts to love and to keep going. He gives us the minds to believe. We've talked about this so many times, but it's so foundational and so important. Aren't you excited that God has opened your mind to believe? He has given you that understanding. We watch the craziness of the world and the decisions that are being made, and I'm not going to talk about the right or the wrong of them, but just you know as well as I do, there are some crazy decisions that are made, crazy thoughts. And I'm not talking about the government. That may be where your mind's going. That's part of it in some cases, but I'm talking about just in society. People are crazy in their thinking. And we look at that and we scratch our heads and we say, what is wrong? Well, God is the one who gives us a mind to discern and a mind to hold together. It's God who forgives us and teaches us what forgiveness is all about. And again, we'll talk about that in just a minute. He's the one who restores and gives us the hope to continue. So I think what Solomon is doing here is he's starting out with this huge mass of people reminding them, listen, it is God whom we must remember first. He is God. And that's a good thing for us to remember too this day. Secondly, in verse 23 also, Solomon is really recognizing the kindness of God in in his prayer. Look at verse 23. God, you are the God of the one who keeps the covenant and keeps your covenant and showing loving kindness 
to your servants who walk before you with all your heart. I think what Solomon's saying here is that we should be a people who embrace the kindness of God. I had a friend of mine years ago who said to me one time, Bruce, God is so kind. He's so kind. And I've never forgotten that conversation or that statement. And, and it's come to my mind many times over about how kind God is. That word kindness is a beautiful, beautiful word. Aren't you thankful that God is kind this morning? That he's kind to us? Listen, God didn't have to save you and me. He didn't have to do that. You ever thought about that? He didn't have to come to this earth to give his life for us. He didn't have to do any of that. Why did he do it? Because he's kind. He wanted to rescue us. And he did. And in doing that, he gave us a heart to believe. So here we are today, back in church, gathered together as a family of believers, again, even on Internet, or looking forward to come back when we weren't sure whether it would ever happen or not. I remember when Debbie and I were in Romania. I've shared this story with you already, but when we were in Romania, I literally thought, okay, we may... We could very well be stuck here till who knows when. When the president said, we're, I'm closing the borders, we thought, okay. We really had no idea what that was going to mean. I mean, I was just kind of, Debbie and I were looking at each other saying, okay. <laughs> I mean, what do you do in that situation, right? What do you do? Well, you turn to the Lord and you say, okay, God, we're in your hands. Thank you that you're a kind God. And he was so kind to us, bringing us back and taking care of us. There was never any other problem. In fact, Debbie and I were just laughing about it yesterday, laughing in a good way at the, at the amazing work of the Lord. The Lord took us out of Romania, got us across the border into Hungary without being, having any problems. We weren't certain about all of that. You know, that could be uncertain depending on what country you're in. When we got to Hungary, we spent four days in a amazing hotel that we never even knew existed, but that was the only one we could find. It's basically a five-star hotel. One night, Debbie had duck for dinner. Okay? I mean, this, was, this place was amazing. Took a tour of, of Budapest, and we're just kind of looking at each other, just kind of laughing, saying, who can do that but the Lord? When we could have turned to fear and anxiety and concern, God had another plan. And so here we are. Well, the Hebrews struggled to follow God. You know that if you follow the story of the Hebrews. The question is, what about you? Where are you through all of this? Are you fully embracing the God, the God who is God, the God of kindness? Where's your heart in all this pandemic? I really believe this is what Solomon is saying in his prayer. If you read 1 Kings, go back and do that, you'll see that this is a a talk between Solomon and God. We're pulling, out of what so, we're pulling out of this what Solomon was thinking. And Solomon had to have been thinking, God, you are so kind to us. In the midst of all that Israel has gone through, you've fulfilled your promise. And here's the thing, beloved. God said he would fulfill his promises to us, right? He's going to provide our needs. He's going to take care of us. He's going to bring us to be home with him. And God is proving that even through something like this when the entire world is full of anxiety and full of dread and fear and concern and confusion and despair. Our God is full of the ability to do what he wants to do, and our hearts should be thankful for his kindness. 
Here's the third thing. And this now comes from verses 25 through 30, which I'm not going to read. Again, I want you to go back and read this. But for the sake of time, I want you to just read this. I had somebody say to me earlier, I'm so tired of Zoom. I praise the Lord for Zoom, if you know what I'm talking about. It's that software we've been using and thousands, hundreds, and millions of people have been using it across the world probably. But somebody said, man, it's so good to be back together. I'm so tired of Zoom. Well, so we're going to be brief here, but I do want to make some points. Thirdly, in these verses, 25 through 30, I think we're seeing Solomon's asking God to embrace God for his continued presence and protection over us. That's what Solomon's heart is all about. God, thank you. I want to embrace you for your continued presence and protection over us. Because Solomon knew his heart could be easily distracted from God. And we know scripturally that that's exactly what happened. Solomon will be distracted. He will be drawn away by foreign wives. He had hundreds of wives and concubines that drew his heart away from the Lord. And so it's very ironic, really, that we have this incredible prayer that we need to listen to because as much as we are sitting here today saying, God, we embrace you as the protector, as the provider, it doesn't take much for our sinful hearts to lure us away and to be caught up in the things that we don't want to be a part of. So Solomon prays that God will fulfill his promises, number one, to sit. He's thanking him for someone to sit on the throne of David forever, and and God has been faithful to that promise. Through the years of the prophets, or excuse me, the kings that came, and then even from Christ's coming, and so we see all of that that promise being fulfilled, and and, uh, Solomon is thankful for all of that. But the one thing that Solomon brings out of this is also the accountability on the heart of people. As much as God is doing, there is an accountability on the heart of people. In other words, we're responsible for our actions. So we need to make God a priority. This this sounds like it shouldn't even be a message that needs to be preached in the church. But it really is that God would continue to be our priority and that we would be the ones to obey him. I said this, if you've been taking the opportunity to read the devotions that I've been putting together and sending out to you, I said in one of them that one of my greatest concerns at this point is that as things begin to become, let's just call it normal, or whatever that looks like anymore, that the hearts of God's people will also grow back to a normal that's not as interested in the things of God. And that's what a rededication is all about. A rededication in Solomon's mind and in our minds this morning should be that, no, God, we are putting a stake in the ground spiritually saying the years ahead are going to be better spiritually. They're going to be stronger spiritually. They're going to make a difference spiritually because we are rededicating ourselves to you individually and as a church. But that's my greatest concern, that we would easily go back into a mode of just normalcy where God is kind of there but not the focus of everything and you say well how do I measure then or how do you pastor measure whether God is the center focus of life let me give you some tangible thoughts at least that help me number one is ask yourself some questions which would be something like when an event happens in life big or small where does your mind go Does your mind go immediately to God and acknowledge him in it all? And I'm talking about thank you, Lord. 
I'm talking about whatever you're doing, that immediately your mind goes, thank you, Lord, that you were a part of this. I was just talking with Dad's caretaker, one of Dad's caretakers yesterday. He is a really strong believer, and we're so thankful for that. He was telling me that when he wakes up in the morning, his wife is such a godly woman that she is already awake and in another room praying and just calling out to the Lord for more prayer in prayer, but also for thankfulness. And he says, I woke up. This was just yesterday morning. He told me this. He says, I woke up and she was in the other room praying and I could hear her praying and my heart just exploded with joy because of being married to a woman that was so full of God and took God so seriously that that he was the first person on her mind in the morning. And she lives her life that way. And he said, and because of that, I have done started learning to do the same thing. I was blessed by that. Secondly, here's another question to ask yourself. When life is difficult, is God the first thought on my mind? You know, typically we'll go to the banker, we'll go to the doctor, we'll go to the counselor, we'll go, and all those have their place. But I wonder how often when God is first in our life, is God really the first thought in our life when something is going on? Something a little more practical. When life is good, is God the first one on your mind? Right? Do we rejoice when things are good? Thank you, Lord. That's a little easier than it is. Often God is first in our mind when things aren't going so well. But when life is good, it's a lot easier. But it should be that way. Here's another question. When the church meets, like this morning, when you heard that there was an opportunity to gather, and again, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with those that didn't come. We want you to stay home if you feel uncomfortable at all. That's what our message to you said. And we're honoring you for that. But when the church has an opportunity to gather, no matter when it is, is your heart saying, I want to be there. I want to be with God's people. See, these are little indicators of where our hearts really are with him being first in our life. Here's another one. When someone hurts you, do you seek to make it right? Or do you come up with strategies and ways to get back at them? Is your first thought saying, Lord, I need your help to make this right because you want us to have harmony in our relationships. When somebody comes to you, do you listen with a loving heart? Are you willing to say, God, help me to listen to this person so that I can be a help to them? Do you love to hear God's word? Are you kind of tired of it? I remember one time when my dad and I were coming back from a conference. It was a men's conference and the speakers were just great. And dad was kind of introducing me to some of these things. I was still living at home at the time and a teenager, still in high school. And I remember him saying to me as we were driving back, he wanted to listen to one of the sermons over again on cassette. And um, yeah, I know some people are saying, what's a cassette, right? And some of you all will remember what that is. Dad said to me, you want to listen to this? And then I said, kind of smiled like that. And he says, need a break a little bit? I said, yeah. And I've never forgotten that. Because I thought, that's not the right heart. Why would we ever want to break from God? Amen? Now, I understand our humanness. I understand we get tired. I understand we can only absorb so much. But the, the condition of our heart should be that we just love to hear from God and love to feel his cleansing power. I fear that the mind of the world is one that says, I don't really need any of that. I can do this on my own. I'll take it in bits and pieces. 
You know, in Nehemiah's day, when the wall had been completed, Ezra, the prophet Ezra, got up and read from the law. And the text in Nehemiah chapter 8 tells us, from early morning until midday, the people stood and listened to the reading of the word. Stood from early morning to midday. And you say, what's wrong with those folks? Didn't they have any chairs? No. You know what the deal was? They were hungry for the word of the Lord. They had seen the work of God so clearly in putting the wall together in such a short amount of time that they wanted to know what the Lord had said and what the Lord's word says. Listen, if there's ever a time where we should be hungry for the Lord, it should be now. It should be now. All right, now, in the remainder of Solomon's prayer, there are several things here that Solomon prays for. Number one is a commitment to do what is right. A commitment to do what is right. For example, in verses 31 through 32, he requests of God to act accordingly, and this is just in the context of his prayer. We'll take it a little differently. When two people make a commitment but don't keep that commitment, So Solomon just lays this thought out there in his prayer. And he says, basically, Lord, when when one person makes a commitment, but they don't keep that commitment, would you kind of go easy on them? Well, the situation really is, listen, it's easy to say we're going to do something and not follow through with it. We're all guilty of that at times, some big, some small. But when we're talking spiritually, The time of rededication means that we're saying to the Lord, Lord, we're guilty of not keeping our commitments to you the way we should. Help us this day to be fully committed to you as you are committed to us. It's a heart issue. It's it's an issue of the heart. And that's really what Solomon is praying through all of this. Lord, affect our hearts. It's the same thing Jesus was praying in the Sermon on the Mount or teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. We've been going through that for a long time now. We'll get back into that soon. But it's all about the heart. It's a heart matter. If your brother has something against you, Jesus says, leave your gift there at the altar and go fix it, right? It's a matter of the heart. God wants our relationships to be at peace. He wants our situations resolved, and not lingering forever because it's going to affect our relationships. And you know that. You've experienced that. When some issue or some more than one issues go on, it affects your relationships. And it continues that way. God wants us to rid ourselves of that and do everything in our power to make that go away. So as we come together today, let's take the thought of Solomon here in his prayer and commit ourselves to doing what's right. You know, sometimes the only thing we really need to say to each other is, I'm doing this because this is what's right. This is what's right. But too often we're distracted by what we feel and the emotions that we have about a a subject or an individual or some circumstance instead of just doing what's right. So we need to be committed to following through with our decisions to serve the Lord and do what's right. In verses 33 through 34, again, just two verses here, is a commitment to forgiveness. It's Solomon's prayer to really a plea to God to help people to forgive. But in such a way, he's asking the Lord to forgive them. 
Well, when you ask the Lord to forgive you, what really is going on is you're turning that around and you're saying, Lord, help us to be people who forgive. And so Solomon asked that. And there are times when Israel really was way off course spiritually. And there were times where they did poorly in battle because they didn't obey God's commands. It was like God was teaching them some things. And for that, God judged them by causing them to lose the battle. In fact, at one point, he put them in captivity for 70 years because of their disobedience to him. 70 years. And so Solomon's asking God to forgive those people if they repent, if they turn away. There's always a condition here. If they will repent, Lord, will you restore them and hear them once again? And so I think the same thing is true to us, beloved, that we need to beg the Lord's forgiveness when we sin against him. When we commit a sin against him, whether as individuals or even as a church, for unfaithfulness, we need to beg the Lord's forgiveness. We should ask him to forgive us for not obeying him, doing what he says, for not spending time in his word. Now, I'm not being legalistic here. I'm just saying that the pattern of our lives should be for the Lord in everything that we do, for not praying like we should. Our communication with God, I was just expressing this to somebody the other day. I was teaching them about what prayer is. The Bible reading is God speaking to us and prayer is us talking to God. We need to be faithful in our prayer. The Apostle Paul said, pray without ceasing. It should be a continual part of our life. The fellowship of the saints. It breaks my heart when the saints are gathered and there are many people who don't take part in the fellowship of the saints. Now, people's lives are busy and we understand that. We're not throwing stones. But there should be a desire to fellowship with one another. When we hold grudges, we're to let that go quickly. Do something about it. Because all of that is sin. And it's sin against God at the same time. That's something that we often miss. When we sin against one another, we're really sinning against God. You know that's what David said when he sinned against Bathsheba? He said, how can I do this sin against you, God? That's what we're doing. Proverbs 28:13 says, he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper he will not but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion what a beautiful truth the lord is kind beloved and he loves to forgive he is willing to forgive but let's us determine to forgive one another in our hearts never honestly never should there be something that continues in our lives between one another that isn't easily or at least at some point rectified in some way. All right, let's keep moving here. Verses 35 through 40 is Solomon's plea for God to remove judgment when his people sin against them. Now, what's Solomon saying here? Solomon is understanding that God will judge sin. It may appear that he'll let it go, and it seems like God lets things go far longer than even you and I would at times. But God will always come back to judging unrepentant sin. And Solomon understood that. Again, ironically, Solomon would fall into sin himself and God would judge him for it. Now, a few weeks ago, you heard me preach when this all started about my thoughts biblically about the coronavirus And one of the things I said to you right from the beginning was, I don't know what God is doing. 
I don't know. I don't have God's mind in all of this. But the question comes out from Solomon's prayer is this, is it could it be, and this is just a question, could it be that the Lord is enacting a form of judgment on us? It is quite possible that the Lord is bringing about a sense of judgment as we see the pestilence hit the entire world. I mean, if nothing else, God is getting our attention, right? I mean, if nothing else. As I said earlier, the world is standing up and saying, okay, what's going on here? And God is revealing himself. So what we really need to be thinking is that if we go back to the way things always were, it's quite possible, spiritually I'm speaking, that God will do more to get our attention because he wants us to turn to him. He doesn't want to be an afterthought. So the point simply is that what I'm hearing out of Solomon's thoughts to God are, Lord, forgive us, help us to be obedient to you, help us to live obedient lives because one small sin is still sin. One small sin is still sin. And God's holiness will judge that. All right, verses 41 through 43 are Solomon's, is Solomon's plea for God to reach more people. Isn't that, a beautiful, isn't that a beautiful thought? In effect, Solomon, here's a man, not God, but a man that God created, and he's praying that God would reach the hearts of more people. That really should be in the mind of every one of God's children. As much as God opened the gospel to us, we should pray that God would open the gospel to others. If you want to be a true follower of God, which you all do, I know, our prayer should be, Lord, Help me to be a part of the vehicle, the mechanism, whatever it might be, to reach lost people. I was telling the service before this, I was so blessed yesterday as well. My brother, I've got to go backwards to tell you the context of this. My grandfather many years ago had a country store that he turned over to his son, my mom's brother, who ran it for many, many years. He's also gone on to be with the Lord now. And the store sat empty. Well, he, my uncle turned it over to his son, my cousin, who really didn't have a heart's desire for it. And so the store was sold, the building was sold, and it sat vacant for a long time uh, until just recently my brother and my dad really bought it. And my brother and his wife are running the store. Well, just yesterday I was in there visiting when we went down to see Dad. And my brother said, hey, I want to show you something. And he brought to me a book that's really skinny, but it looked like a ledger book, like the old-timey accounting ledger books. And, in fact, that's what I said. Is this our uncle's ledger book? And he says, no, just look at it. And so I opened it up, and at the beginning page was a, a writing in there from 1940. And he says, if you go through, my brother was telling me, as you go through all of this book, you see the dates of the years from 40 all the way on through the top. But then as you come back along the bottom of the page, it ends up being all the way through 1980. These were notes that were written by the secretary of the United Methodist Women's Group from the church that I grew up in for those many years. Okay. And what was interesting to me is I saw the names of all these people that I once knew, but there was one insert in there that was particularly interesting to me was from my grandmother, my mother's mother. 
And I really didn't know her. She died in 1977. I always really loved her. She just had that kind spirit about her. And I kind of always had a sense that she was a follower of God, but I didn't really know. Well, in this entry, there was one uh, uh, entry that said that my grandmother was holding the meeting of the United Methodist Women, and she taught about the Native American Indians and how poorly they had been treated. But there was one sentence that really captivated my attention, which was she said, it is necessary for us to share the gospel with them so that they can know the truth or something like that. But I was so blessed by that to hear my grandmother say that one of her main concerns was that the gospel went out. And that should be the heart of every person. Now, I'm not saying my grandmother was born again just because she made that statement, but it sure is a good indicator, right? People who don't care about the gospel going out are not people who are necessarily going to be wanting to share the gospel. And so what I hear Solomon saying here is that, God, please open up the hearts of people and reach people. Reach other nations. Because listen, Israel was God's people. But guess what? We're not God's people in that sense. We're not of the nation Israel. We're foreigners. We're people who have been given the blessing of coming into the kingdom because God opened the kingdom to us. And the reality is this world is so selfish. The world is so selfish and hateful towards anyone who looks different. You may have felt this. Acts differently. We hear these horrific stories all the time of how people are treated because of whether they're from a different language or their skin is different or or whatever it might be. But Solomon's plea is, Lord, if someone doesn't know you and comes to see you for forgiveness, please hear them. And he's not putting conditions on who that person is or where they're from. So his prayer was to ask the Father, welcome all who come to repentance. And I'm thankful, beloved, that We are a part of a church who understands that. But I think it's a good reminder to us as well. As many as God is bringing to us in the Spanish community and the Kachin or the Burmese community and and who knows whom else, the many that make up our congregation here of different nations and tribes, we should have a heart that's saying, Lord, give us more. Give us the privilege of sharing the gospel with more people so that others will come to know you. But there are times when our sinful hearts are closed to people. And I'm talking about not that we're closed to the nations. I'm talking about there are times when we're closed to one another. Where we don't love each other like we should. Where we hold on to things that we've just talked about. And we need to pray that God will give us the privilege to minister to everyone. And challenge ourselves to ask the Lord to help us receive someone maybe whom we're even struggling with. That's a tough prayer. But in our rededication to the Lord, this is a beautiful time to say, Lord, as you've given us the joy of gathering together again, and would you help me mend the struggle that I have with this person or that person, whoever it might be, and God will put the person on your mind and heart. And it will be a beautiful thing. That's Solomon's plea. 44 and 45 verses, verses 44 and 45 is Solomon's plea for God to give victory in the battle, to give victory in the battle. You know, I really believe one of the reasons we don't see more from God is because we just don't ask him. We just don't ask him. Often our faith is about this big. 
And I mean, I mean that genuine. I'm talking to me. You remember what Jesus said? Have you had faith the size of what? A mustard seed. You could say to this mountain, be gone over here, and it would be cast into the sea. Imagine that. Now, Jesus wasn't just saying something because it sounded like a good statement or it would get attention. It got attention, all right, but the truth of it, of it is it was true. But we really often have very little faith, and it's because we don't ask God to help us. I'm convinced if we see God do mighty things, our faith will grow. So often we just try to figure out things on our own. You know, we'll do it this way, we'll do it that way. Well, what if I do that? And how about if I do this? And if you go over there and I go over here and, and this is what we'll do and put whatever, whatever subject you want in there, we try to figure out a way to make it happen. Well, the question is, have you started with God and just simply said, Lord, would you help me get through this? I have no doubt that many of you were saying, what's going to happen to my job? What's going to happen to my livelihood? What's going to happen to my family through this pandemic when all this started? And maybe you've been feeling that now. Some of you have lost your jobs. Some of you have been furloughed. And your question may be, what am I going to do? Well, what should we do? We go to God and say, Lord, would you help me in the battle? Would you be faithful in the battle? Get me through this? And I guarantee you, beloved, God will provide. He's already promised he would, and he will do that. Think about the souls of the godless people out here and how blind they are. Wouldn't it be wise to pray that God would open their eyes to the truth? Aren't you thankful that God gave to you the ability to see? We should be praying that God would open the eyes of the blind and soften their hearts and pray that God would keep Satan from doing anything that would tempt these people. And this praying for the battle is not an unusual thing in Scripture. This was the go-to for many people. Israel prayed for God's help when Jeroboam rose up against them in 2 Chronicles 13. It was the first thing they did was called on the Lord. Listen, no matter what you're facing right now, call on the Lord to help you in the battle. And he will, whether it's a test at school or whether it's some big event at work, whatever it might be, God will help you in the battle. Here's another one in 2 Chronicles 14. Help us, O Lord our God, for we trust in you and in your name have come against this multitude. That was a concerning a situation of another, another battle. The point is, beloved, we often fail in our battles because we just don't ask for help. We're so stubborn and selfish we think we can do it. When we're at battle with others, we usually think, well, I don't like them, so huh. Just go on and do your thing. But that's our sinful flesh, and we got to get rid of that. What we really need is to remember that we're not one another's enemies. We're not the enemy here. Satan is our enemy. And so we got to remember that and go forward. So as we go forward, let's pray for God to give us the victory over the right battles, number one, that we're actually fighting the right battles, and that we're moving in the way that he wants us to go. The spiritual battles, I'm talking about the wrong battles are the ones that keep us from loving each other, keep us from honoring one another, keep us from communicating well and in a holy way from one another. And so let's pray that God will give us the victory over our battles. Now in verses 46 through 54 is a plea for God to restore those who are, being, who are in bondage 
because of sin. Restore those who are in bondage because of sin. Listen, no doubt there are people that are close to you that you know whom are in bondage to sin. I had somebody come up to me right after the first service and said, please pray for one of my children because they're, fine, they're, they're falling deeper and deeper into bondage. We all know what that's like. We all have experiences. We all have relationships with people who are in bondage to sin. When Israel sinned, God caused their enemies to capture them and take them out of their homeland. God was very serious about this. And so Solomon's prayer is, Lord, will you forgive those people even while they are in captivity? You go back and read this and you'll see this. If they truly repent in their hearts, will you forgive them? Do you understand that genuine forgiveness from God often begins with somebody praying for you or them? That's right. The number of people, whether it's a mom or dad or grandparent, aunt, uncle, somebody praying before you or I ever came to Christ is a reality. God works through people's prayers, asking him to forgive and to turn their hearts around before they're ever touched. Now, I'm not going to say that's 100%. God does what God does. But God exposes people to the truth of himself through others many times. And so Solomon's praying, Lord, going before God on behalf of those that were in captivity, saying, Lord, if they repent, will you forgive them? That should be our heart. And we may never be taken into a different land, and I pray that that never happens. But we can easily be in the land of Satan and enjoy it. We can be caught up in bondage. I think about the number of people that I've known over the years that started out so well. Beloved, I'm thinking about young people that have started out in our own youth group or the Christian school down the road that started out so well but became victims of Satan in their own sin that now they're in bondage to the things of this world and the working of Satan. We need to pray for these people, that they're enlightened, that their eyes are opened. I don't want to date myself too much or go too deeply into this, but those of you that saw the movie The Matrix, if you ever saw that or not, there is one scene in that first movie that is just absolutely incredible in the truth. Now, it was not written, to my knowledge, of being a spiritual movie to talk about God at all. But if you remember, there was one instance where the guy was asked to take one color pill, and based on which color pill he took would reveal to him the truth or not give him the truth. And the reality was the computer had taken over the world or a computer had taken over the world and was using human beings, this is all sci-fi, but was using human beings as the energy source to, to continue the program to run. And the program was the matrix. And this matrix was a world view that made people believe they were living a reality when in reality they were stuck in a bonding bondage kind of thing, a capsule kind of a thing, but made to believe they were living life normally. So as you're looking at the movie, people are going about just like they are today, driving their cars, riding in planes, doing everything that's normal to us. But the reality was that was all computer generated. And the computer had proven to them or made them believe that they were really living life. In fact, there's one scene and there were guys eating a steak And he says, I know that this steak is not real, but I don't care. 
I'd rather have the steak. That's the mind of the unsaved world. The unsaved say, I love what I see out here so much, I don't care about what reality is. Reality being there's going to be judgment on sin. I'd rather stay in the world and enjoy that pleasure, even though I know it's going to pass away. It's tragic. We need to pray that God will open the eyes of people and ask him to forgive them, even now while they're in bondage. That was Solomon's prayer. If you can imagine him standing on the beautiful portico of that temple, as ornate as it was, and these thoughts that he had in his mind, these are some of the thoughts that came out as he was rededicating the people as the king of the land, saying, Lord, this is the people we want to be. This is how we want to live our lives before you. Would you do this in us as we ask you these things? And so as we close this this morning, we're so glad that we can join together again. And so looking forward to everyone being with us. We miss you who are not here. We're so thankful that you can join us online. But let's rededicate ourselves to being the church that God has called us to be. Let's put our foundation down. Let's rededicate our hearts. Let's put the stake in the ground that says, Lord, we want to be the people that you have called us to be. Let's pray that God awaken souls before Satan blinds them further. For God has given us a new day, beloved. Praise his name for that. Let's don't go to sleep. Let's be rejuvenated. And let's take advantage of what God has given to us. Tom Rayner said in a meeting I was in, you may recognize that name. He's an author, works for, writes books for Lifeway. On a Zoom meeting, he said just the other day, he said, I'm not going to say the church has a door, but we certainly have a window. We have a window of an opportunity here that we need to take advantage of to share the truth with people. Because you and I know that what's going to happen is, as time continually progresses, people will become more careless and more slack spiritually, and they'll fade away. Now is when, when you have a time for a conversation, take advantage of it. When you have the opportunity to leave somebody a note, maybe about something going on in their life, take advantage of it. When you can send a text to somebody, take advantage of it. When God puts somebody on your mind, email them, call them, do something to let them know that God is working in their lives. God will help you. He'll show you what to say and what to do. Just take advantage of it. We have a window, a small window of time here where the world is listening to spiritual things. So let's dedicate our hearts to being the people we need to be, but dedicate our hearts to also pursuing the world as God would have us pursue. Okay? Amen? All right. Well, let's close in prayer, and then Pastor Ham's going to come lead us in a song. Father, we are, the words just don't come clearly enough. And I know my heart and my voice can't express it enough. Lord, if we could just be Solomon a moment on that portico. Our hearts are the same, where we want to see you do great things. Lord, as we've been separated from each other for these many weeks now, and we know that this will drag on in some ways, and life will be different than it once was, we thank you, Father, for giving us this privilege to gather together today. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a God of kindness, and you are a God of forgiveness. 
And Lord, we want to be your people who proclaim your majesty to the world. And we want to live before you a pleasing people. So help us, Father. Help us this day as we rededicate our hearts as a church and as individuals. We pray now in Jesus' name and for for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Would everyone stand, please? We'll sing one last song. Father, we love you. We worship and adore you. Glorify thy name in all the earth. Glorify thy name. Glorify thy name. We love you, we worship and adore you, glorify thy name in all the earth, glorify thy name, glorify thy name, glorify thy name. and adore you glorify thy name in all the earth glorify thy name glorify thy name glorify thy name in all the Heavenly Father, we just glorify your name because you are the one, the only one who is worth our honor and praise and glory. So, Lord, thank you for allowing us to meet here today. We ask that you would just watch over us for the remainder of the week as we go back to work, go back to uh, different things of our lives. But, Lord, we just ask for you to keep us safe and bring us back again next week. Thank you for all that you do for us. Thank you for your love and your kindness your patience, and your mercy. But mostly thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.